0: To episode 30 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. If you haven't had the chance yet, follow us at Brown Black Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. Since we're closing in on Christmas, Mike, we thought uh, that you and I would review two recently new black movies that you can watch over the Christmas weekend that will be the talk of Oscar season. The films we'll be reviewing are George C. Wolf's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which you can watch now on Netflix, and Regina King's One Night in Miami, which opens Christmas Day on Amazon Prime. And the reason we're talking about these movies because of its monumental significance, the fact that they're black stories with black casts opening on on Christmas Day is something that I don't really remember growing up with, Mike. When we
1: were deciding that we were going to review these two films, I thought, all right, what do they they have in common? One, they're being released in the Christmas season, and that's a very specific thing for Hollywood, the Christmas season. Two, that, like you said, they're both based on plays, but they're both stories about the history of America, but specifically Black history in America, specifically the Black experience in America. One, is a fictionalized account of real-life Black ideas icons who all actually were friends but it's a fictionalized account of a real night and the other one is a play again featuring a real life singer ma rainey and it's sort of a fictionalized day at a recording studio but again what makes these stories so powerful is the context the time in which they take place and when we meet these characters how they're affected by those
2: times
0: those films, Mike, why don't we just get into the news really quick? I've know, I know, I know that you heard the now famously notorious Tom Cruise rant. We are the gold standard. You're back there in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies producers and they're looking at us and using us to make their movies we are creating thousands of jobs
2: i don't ever want to see it again
0: ever when you heard this news i heard it on the guardian i heard the whole audio this dude went he dropped so many f-bombs tom cruise is not known to be a guy like this mike i want to
1: coin the phrase here on our show because i said it to you uh at a different point. That is America and and the people, you know, Americans, our whole culture is based on embracing this whole individualism and, and rugged individualists and the individual and, and this triumph of, you know, you know, we are, you know, the right to be who we are. Let's not even get into what's happening in this country where people feel their rights are being impinged to have to wear a mask. But I, I consider that toxic individualism and i think toxic individualism is a part of you know it's an arrogance that is i i, I don't think it's uniquely american but we definitely have perfected it to a certain level <laughs> okay we we really have we really have where it's like we have the right to be the biggest asshole on the planet fuck a mask fuck everybody else fuck you i'm an american fuck you that's that's toxic individualism, in my opinion. Oh my uh, but am I right? Am I? I'm not lying. Okay, so and you agree so,
0: with what Tom Cruise? Well, I do did, agree. With the and I do absolutely, the absolutely, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. I do. Okay. I can't believe because this, Mike. You're usually you,
0: the measured one. The no, one who's like, "No, hey listen. man, you could have said that in another but, way." But you
1: know what? You know what? Here's what I realize. Okay, about anger. Okay, and if you listen to his rant, uh, you know the the full rant, especially the first one. Okay, he is angry.
0: Is it understood? If I see it again, you're
1: gone. But then as he calms down, he 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 underscores it. He, he throws stuff back at you. This is your responsibility. Do you understand what you're being responsible for? Do you understand the weight of this? Tell
2: it to the people that are losing their f-ing homes because our industry is shut down. It's not
0: gonna put food on their table or pay for their college education.
2: He's got a
1: lot of weight on him. He put up his own money every time the, the the insurance goes up because crew members get sick, because people are lax, because people people don't necessarily, people, it's very easy to take for granted what you do in this business. It's very easy to take for granted that we are not making, you know, hundreds and millions of dollars in the entertainment business. There are people who do, but there are people who make very good livings in this business and take it for granted. To keep your job, you have to follow strict protocol, strict. This is like being in the army. To make this happen, it has to have all the discipline, everything, you have to fight your natural instinct. Sure, you're watching a computer monitor and you stand next to somebody, it's what you would normally do. But he wants you to know, I don't want you to get lax. I need you to be on edge. He is personally responsible because to him, it's not just this film. He knows that the amount of money that's being spent here is, can it be done? Can this work? What's it going to take? Is there other ways of doing it? I guarantee he's tried those other ways. I guarantee yeah. he yeah. didn't just yeah. flip out. Tom yeah. Cruise has been making movies for 30 plus years. This is not his reputation. For him to flip out, he's just done. That's why he's, it was a dramatic moment. Yes, that's why it was done. news. And and not only is it amused, what's interesting is an actor, and you, and you see this... It's like you see it with De Niro when he talks about Trump. It's like, you're used to an actor pretending to be angry. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then when you hear them, they sound just like they do in the movies. You're like, oh, my God, is he going gonna- to? I want, want the, the truth. truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's like Tom Cruise had a Tom Cruise moment. So, oh, my God. It totally <laughs> sounded like he was
0: in A Few Good Men, bro. Exactly. It exactly. was hilarious. Because yeah. you're
1: used to hearing him do this only in movie script. Exactly. It's like, this is not a mammoth script. This is Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tom Cruise. So do I oh, think man. he should have done it? Yes, I do. I think because that's the responsibility. If you want to work, I'm sure you signed something that said, I will follow all the damn ass rules. And you know what? Those people who quit... I'm glad they did. They quit because they shouldn't be there because if it's too much for them, if they can't take the pressure. Get out, get out. It's, it's, it's a privilege to be there. There are people who would get I guarantee who would love to take those people's jobs and will, have no problem following every single rule because they're going to get paid well. Guaranteed, these people are not getting paid. You won't work on Mission Impossible 7 and you're getting paid $15 an hour. You're getting paid top dollar. You're at top of your industry. You're working on a film this big, you are making buku bucks.
0: So Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall are returning in Coming to America 2, and looks like the studios finally put out the first photos. Coming to America 2 was supposed to come out this Friday, December 18th. Yes. But they had to push it because of the pandemic, obviously. And now it's going to be coming out on Amazon Prime Video on March 5th. So it's going straight to streaming. All the press. It's been one of the biggest news stories um, all week. A, because Coming to America is a black classic. A black comedic classic from Eddie Murphy. And no one ever thought that a part two was going to come out. At least I didn't. I had heard rumblings of it for years but Eddie just seemed to not want to revisit, you know, his original films anymore. He just seems to kind of want to do, you know, Dr. Doolittle and, and not really do these sequels that the fans want, right? But somehow he got together, back the crew. And when you look at the photos, Mike, holy smokes, man. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it, was like, it was like 1992 all over again.
1: I know. It's like, Eddie, how on earth did you and Arsenio age that well? Thirty-two years went by. Wow. You look like like you make everybody else look bad, okay? You know, (laughs) I used to think amazing. Yes, I thought Ernie Hudson made Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd look bad, okay? But wow, wow. You know, Eddie Murphy. Uh, is he looks just fantastic. And so does Arsenio Hall. Like, Arsenio Hall, I don't know if he's been in hibernation, because where's he been for 20 years? And, like, he just comes out looking like he did 20 years ago.
0: What do you think coming to America 2 means for brown and black movie-going fans today? And what do you think, how do you think white crowds are going to react to it? I think, one, comedians, in terms of
1: the general audience general audience, everybody likes to laugh. So I think comedy is one of those things that transcends everything. And Eddie Murphy, at a very young age, was one of the highest paid, most popular comedians in the country, in the world, really. And to this day, he still has some absolute classics. And it was like his first three films are some of the best films he ever made. Yeah, 48 okay. Hours, 48 Hours, you know, Boomerang. Uh, trading, trading Places. They are comedy classics. Now, one thing about the public is that they're very forgiving. They're they're forgiving. Let's put it this way: they're forgiving until they're not. They were not very forgiving for Eddie for a lot of those bad films. But in the last year and a half, we've seen a lot. America's kind of re in love with Eddie Murphy. I think this is probably going to be one of the most successful films for him because, wow. as much as I liked Dolomite, I thought Eddie Murphy could have done that in his sleep. Okay, really? The, yes, I thought I that thought, movie stretched him. I didn't feel it did. For a guy who's played like 13 characters in in one film, that movie was nothing for Eddie. Uh, I think Eddie is an enormous talent. Enormous. I think Hollywood hasn't known what to do with him. Jerry Seinfeld
0: worships him. He reveres him as the way people revere Seinfeld.
1: Listen to me. Eddie Murphy is amazing. You didn't go that year when the Critics' Choice gave an award to Eddie Murphy uh, last year. Eddie got up. And within a minute and a half, he had the entire audience laughing. Uh, I have a clip from it,
2: I'll play it to you. For you guys, because when I started making movies like almost 40 years ago, there were no African American film critics. It wasn't. Actually, there was one. And that nigga was crazy. (laughs) I used to always want to fight him. You no, said what this motherfucker said. <laughs> they ain't have no film, African-American film critics. They ain't have, and Neil was talking about, they make, they make makeup special for her. When we, they didn't have no, no makeup, African-American makeup, hair department, wardrobe, pe- wardrobe department, producers, they didn't have none of that. It was, it was rough. <laughs> Especially you go to the hair department. Like if you go back at an old Sidney Poitier movie, his hair is fucked up and all the- <laughs> Go if you've never watched. Guess who's coming to dinner? Probably guess who's coming to dinner? You'd be like, "Is this how this motherfucker came to dinner?" <laughs> He's a headed motherfucker. No. Sidney is such a brilliant actor. He was able to act like his hair was gone.
1: So I, I think Eddie's never lost it. I think people have missed somebody at that level. As much as I like Kevin Hart, I think he paid in comparison to a talent like Eddie Murphy. If you go online, there are lots of lists for christmas movies if you put latino christmas movies they'll give you the, they'll give you a list oh 1959 the mexican santa claus and you know there are all these movies that they'll name but growing up in this country traditionally what did you watch at christmas time brother Aaron,
0: I didn't yeah. i didn't watch any latino movies because those latino movies don't exist they don't exist within the mainstream canon of stories and holiday stories We still don't have a major holiday studio film that accurately expresses Latino holiday Christmas culture. Why? A lot of it, I mean, obviously is discrimination. It's a lack of understanding that our stories aren't compatible with white audiences. I think black audiences want to watch our stories. You know, we've heard many guests on this podcast say, Reginald didn't Reginald Hudlin in our previous episode say, "I want to watch those stories.
2: I want to see I want to see what I see when I'm in LA. Can I see that on TV? Cuz I'll tell you I want to watch that show."
0: The guy was watching Jane the Virgin. He wants to watch Latino stories. And the only one I can possibly think of is this movie that came out in 2008 called nothing for the holidays you know what would be a great christmas present for my parents if you told me we're trying to have a baby
2: a baby when am i gonna have grandchildren my mother had 10 at my age you guys should be up to four five six maybe seven eight kids (laughs) does your plumbing work there's nothing like the holidays merry
0: christmas
2: (laughs) it's a time for family
0: why is everybody fighting
2: and they're not fighting we're conversating
0: there's something i like to say
1: i'm
2: leaving your father
0: so this movie, Mike, is about a Puerto Rican family in Chicago that meets up for a family Christmas to suddenly hear the announcement that mom and dad are getting divorced. Freddie Rodriguez is in the film, John Leguizamo, Deborah Messing, the white girl, right? Alfred Molina, Jay Hernandez, Melanie Diaz, Vanessa Ferlito. Remember her? Luis Guzman, Elizabeth Payne. I mean, the cast of casts. And yet, and in that movie... Uh, We had touches of what white interracial couples with Hispanics were like, you know, like sort of that whitewashed Hispanic, which was played by John Leguizamo. There's also that sense of, is this movie really for every single Latino? I wrote an article on showbizcafe.com. They said, listen, this is not a Hispanic film. Don't call it that. We don't think it's a Latino film. And I'm like, what? He goes, it's a movie for everyone. And I hate that necessarily is because you see a Latino cast and you're not supposed to think it's a Latino show. That's where I think actors get it wrong. You know, it's, buddy, you, you can't blur those lines yet. Those lines are significant for conversation, for pushing the priority and the agenda that our stories matter. Why am I referring to the closest mainstream movie about a Latinx holiday from 2008? It's because no one thinks that our movies can travel. No one thinks that it's universal enough. And you know what? There's a particular point because I was watching this Puerto Rican family. My mom didn't act like that. My cousins aren't like that. You know, maybe my Colombian American experiences aren't reflective of that particular Puerto Rican family. And this is the problem with putting Latinos in one bucket. So how are we going to get together? How are we going to coagulate all those countries and all those Latino cultures uh, in America to create one movie that speaks not only to them, but to whites, but to blacks and have it be a monster holiday film? All
1: right. I've got an idea. You just gave me an idea. okay? it'll be like a cross between Love Actually. You know how Love Actually had all these different. All these different So we've got a blended A Latino blended family Because they never talk about Latino blending Latino blending Where everybody's gonna come From wherever Some are successful Some are not Some are Mexican Some are are Cuban Some are this And they all gotta come together But we get a sense You know Because of Let's just say The family hopping Whatever's gotta go on We get a taste Of all these cultures And these different families All in one holiday I love this
0: idea Mike Hey Okay Why don't we write it and shoot, it. let's. You're a uh, filmmaker. By, you know. <laughs> let's I'm do it. I'm Under the it. Brown and Black Production I'm Media Company. Yes. Yeah. Presented by Brown and Black, Rita Moreno plays the grandmother, <laughs> Gina Rodriguez <laughs> plays the daughter. <laughs> I mean, there it is. There, 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 there's, your, there's your movie. All right, Mike, how about we review these movies? surprise winning playwright August Wilson also known as the theater's poet of black america had a knack for writing vivid details about the African-American experience in the 20th century. One of those great plays, which was nominated for a Tony back in 1982, now adapted to a film, is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which takes us inside a day of Ma Rainey, one of the biggest blues singers of the 1920s, played by Viola Davis, who is about to do a recording session for a new album with her band. But deep tensions with a white producer, a talented but temperamental trumpet player by the name of Levy, played by Chadwick Boseman, turns what should have been a normal session into a deadly and life changing event.
2: A one, a two, a you know what to do. Uh, this would be an empty world without the blues. Uh, I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with salt. But they want to call me Mother Blues, that's alright with me. It don't hurt none. <laughs> Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got Come on, Levy. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm gonna get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this Jug Band shit. You call that playing music? Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Go no on and fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and Slow Drag come in with the rhythm part, me and Cutler play on the break. The sooner you understand it, and what you say is what
0: my say to count.
2: <laughs> we'll be ready to go in fifteen minutes. We'll be ready to go and Madam says we're ready to go, and that's the way it go around here.
0: I could not stop thinking about this film after I had seen it two, three days in, and it mostly had to do with one particular theme that I had connected with, and that theme was anger. The whole movie's themes are about anger, exploitation, race, art. But for me, the anger was so palpable in Ma Rainey and Viola Davis, she rarely cracked a smile. And then Levy, Chadwick Boseman, which by the way, I think the dude deserves the Oscar this year for Best Supporting Actor. I don't, I I haven't seen every single movie. It's been a hard year to watch every single movie, but of all the performances I've seen this year, Chadwick Boseman gave the most powerful, dramatic emotional and visceral performance i had seen of him in his career and especially this year and he's going to get a posthumous supporting actor win for that role it was about anger that anger that i had felt in him i i had felt in myself when i was growing up i had felt Misenfranchised, pushed aside, uh, not belonging. Even though I thought I had so much to give the world, but no one was listening. No one was helping me out. And I saw a lot of what I, what, what Levy had in the film. I, I, I saw in myself, and this exploitation where we've been talking about, you know, racial capitalism. We've been talking about the exploitation of white owners of brown and black workforces that profit their companies while we get nothing out of it. This has been the history of America from the plantations all the way to now. And I think what Ma Rainey really describes here is that, you know, things haven't really changed that much, whether it's in art and that exploitation, which might not be so obnoxious and and obvious like in this movie— still exists, Mike. And that's why anger is the main theme that I connected with with this film.
1: I connected, I, I guess, with a, with a few things differently. I agree with you. I think Chadwick Boseman's performance is incredibly nuanced. I think he definitely understood this character. I think he definitely gave this character a tortured soul. When he's telling some of the backstory of his life, you know, we, 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 <sighs> we wonder where the anger comes from. And then when we see it, we don't just see it as anger. We see it as a a shield that he's had to use and a way in in which to empower himself. Or you could fall into a pit of sadness. That's what I felt.
0: But what really struck me... It ripped me apart, man.
1: Definitely. But
0: what really struck me and what made it
1: contemporary for me was Ma Rainey. Besides the fact that I think... Viola Davis gives a really tremendous performance. as Transformation. Uh, she was unrecognizable. She was completely. You know, that.
0: It was incredible makeup job. Incredible performance. I, I, when they showed the, the the real version, I was like,
1: "Wow!" wow exactly. She she definitely transformed. And there there's so many things about it that are theatrical in terms of you know the darkness around her eyes and her big big, soul-piercing eyes coming through, but you also saw the sadness, but also the tension. When she entered a room, you didn't know what was going to happen. She might fight you. She might curse you out. She was like a volcano. But at the same time, you also knew she was a woman and she was black. So there's a scene- And a lesbian. And a lesbian, too. There's so much tension when she's around. Are they going to see her be a lesbian? Is she going to blow up when she has a confrontation with the cop and she will not back down. Ma Rainey Was never. she going to get shot? Why yeah, is she? a lot of That's tension, what man. I felt. I felt the tension of, shoot, if that happened today, they'd kill that black woman. So this is 100 years later. And I still feel the animosity that a white police officer would have against... A black woman who you just saw recently, they finally released this footage of what these cops who broke into this poor woman's house and had her standing there naked while they were in the wrong house. Nine white cops and could give a crap about her. That level of humiliation. She's, you know, she's. She, what you're talking about Brianna Taylor? No, it, this is not Brianna Taylor. This is a woman who lived. She, she very close to what happened with Brianna Taylor. Cops broke into the wrong place. Okay. And they terrorized her. She has no one living with her. She was getting into bed. She was naked. They didn't even give her clothes. They threw a blanket on her, but she was handcuffed. So it would fall off of her. They're all walking around. She's screaming at them. You have the wrong place. They're paying her no mind. And of course they're at the wrong place. She's been trying to sue for a year and a half. They basically said they did nothing wrong until finally this week, the footage was released. When you see the footage, It is not only heartbreaking, but you will be so angry to realize how little regard these people had for her as a human. Watching Ma Rainey made me feel how I understood Ma Rainey's anger. I understood why Ma Rainey, at first I didn't get it, why she's so nasty, but I get it. She gives a speech in there that explains where she's coming from. And I was like, all right, Ma Rainey, be whatever bitch you need to be. The next film we're going to talk about is a film called One Night in Miami.
2: Uh. Ah. You brothers, you could move mountains without ah. lifting a finger. Uh. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the ah. chariot is coming. Uh. Who's the Gregors? Right. That's right. Jim Brown takes uh. the ball. Your record is going to stand ah. the test of time. All together, yeah. Ah. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face.
1: Ba- oh, my goodness. What's Cash? Why am I so pretty? Oh. <laughs> One Night in Miami is based on the play written by Kemp Powers. It was the first play it ever written, and it went on to win three L.A. Drama Critics Circle Awards and four NAACP Theater Awards for Best Playwright, Best Director, Best Ensemble Cast, Best Producer, and an L.A. Weekly Theater Award for Playwriting and Direction. This was in 2013. It's a fictional account of a real night, 25th of February, 1964, where Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown all get together to celebrate the fact that Muhammad Ali at the time, who was still Cassius Clay, had just become the world champion. It all takes place essentially that night in that hotel. They've all had, let's just say, a bad day. What makes this work is not only that the playwright understood what was going on at the time and what was at stake for every one of their characters, their lives, and their people. What really makes this play work to me are the performances because you become invested. You know you know Muhammad Ali is an icon. You know Sam Cooke. You know Jim Brown. But seeing them as humans and understanding what a day in their life might have been like 50 something years ago i thought made this a very powerful piece
0: i love the premise i love the fact it's an all-black cast a black movie uh, written directed by black people and it reminds me remember those comic books what if what if wolverine killed the hulk what if spider-man <laughs> became batman you know or, yes, or yes. something along those lines i love this what if these guys really got together in real life and had these conversations, what yes. th- would that be? Tensions between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X. Sam Cooke's the whitewash black guy who caters to a white audience. And anything that's cracker, cracker, cracker is something that Sam Cooke loves. And Malcolm X sees this as as vomititious, as, uh, as a rebuke to his blackness. And Malcolm X is about, you can't support these people. You need to be blacker than black, my friend. It is your duty as a black man here in America. While they're all dying, you're over here singing stupid, silly love songs to these white people. Why? You could argue that any black or Latino man that decides to cater at any point to a white company, white audiences, is a traitor. Somehow, these black and brown people want us to stay brown and black, stay poor, and unless there's a black or Latinx America that gives us those opportunities, then we should take it. Well,
1: I, I listen, I understand that argument, and I understand both sides. I understand where Malcolm's coming from, the idea that you have to keep fighting, you have to fight to make what you want to be accepted, and you have to fight to embrace your blackness. I understand that. But I also understand the reality of the situation. You could call anybody who's crossed over could be considered to be a sellout. Any person of color who's made money in a white-dominated society, you could consider them a sellout. You could. Okay. Yeah,
0: but you're going to consider Sammy Davis Jr. a sellout? Are you um, going to consider every who, black there, performer well, on the planet, including Michael well, Jordan, a sellout? That's,
1: that's You asked my opinion. This is, this is my point. The other side of that is Denzel Washington just produced Ma Rainey. He's the one. He said, yeah, August Wilson stuff should be adapted. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to produce all 10 of them. Some I'll direct, some I'll be in, but he's going to make sure it gets out there. But guess what? In 1981, Denzel Washington had to star in a movie called Carbon Copy. Do you know the plot Mm -hmm. of Carbon Copy? No. Okay, uh, the plot of Carbon Copy is that George Segal's looking into the camera like, huh? And Denzel Washington's got his hand out with his hand on his shoulder. And the ad says, I lost my job, my house, my Rolls Royce, my family left me. What else could possibly go wrong? And Denzel Washington, the voice balloon says, hi, dad.
2: Walter Whitney had it all. A high-society estate, furnished with a high-society spouse. Oh, you make me feel so used. A high-society position, thanks to a high-society father-in-law.
1: I've never seen a happily married executive that was worth a damn.
2: He even had a lawyer who was just plain high.
1: You better have a drag, you'll feel better.
2: But with all of this, Walter Whitney still felt something was missing. And one day, something showed up. Hi, Daddy. Carbon copy. Stop following me. Isn't a son supposed to follow in his dad's footsteps? God will never forgive you for having a black child. How do you know, Vivian? Maybe he'll be pleased. Maybe God is black. Well, my head for good luck. I don't believe in superstitious myths. There's no myth about black people changing your luck. Well, you only met me yesterday and already your luck has changed. Denzel
1: had to play roles that you could consider sellout, catering to the white man roles because those are the roles that were available to him. But when he got into a position of power, that's when he could make a change. That's when he can make a difference. And I think in a situation where whether it's male dominated, white dominated, you have to get to that position. If it's hetero dominated, you have to wait till you get in that position where you have the power to create These films, stories, roles, opportunities, plays for people of color.
0: Well, that's it for this 30th episode of Brown and Black. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Your help will always allow us to be heard by many more people. Follow us on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a great week. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you on another episode of Brown and Black.
2: Hey, now this is the season Don't lick along the top and reason All my rapnik, take a set bread.
0: Go to Shopify.com slash Sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Sonoro.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at shoppacasino.com.